on the Pilot TV podcast this week, we immerse ourselves in Dominic Savage's thought-provoking I Am anthology series, explore the seedier side of superheroes in Amazon's edgy new comic-inspired series, The Boys, and prepare to say goodbye to Litchfield Penitentiary once and for all in the seventh and final season of Orange is the New Black. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that can only apologise for the full start we gave you last week when we got you all hot and bothered under the impression that Terry was going to give you her appraisal of Downton Abbey, only to throw a cold bucket of disappointment over the whole thing. However, this week I am reliably informed that there will be no such anticlimax. For joining me today as we come out of the weekend whatever one of those might be, is our very own Dowager Countess, the true lady of Pilot Abbey and mistress of our orderly household. It's Lady Teresa White. We all know that I'm Daisy. <laughs> that is That's my true. biggest takeaway from Downton Abbey. I am Daisy. It's true. It's true. Spoiler alert, you've watched it. I have watched Amazing. it. Wait, wait, wait. Steady, steady. Well, Don't jump the gun. That. Don't jump the gun. You've heard him, but joining us on this auspicious occasion is our very own Mrs. Patmore. He runs the pilot kitchens like a well-oiled machine, makes a mean apple crumble, and will clip you round the ear if he catches you not stirring the custard properly. It's Mr. Boyd Hilton. Apple crumble is one of the few um, desserts I can make. Really? Yeah. How it's do you make easy. it? It's what's very what's the secret? You just stew the apples. Yeah. Make sure you've got enough sugar, otherwise they'll be a bit sour. Make sure they're, not, they're, they're soft enough. And crumble's fairly easy. You get some oats and some biscuit, um, surely, isn't it? Biscuit, biscuit stuff. Mm. Yeah, and butters of butter. And yeah. it's fine. What it's is happening? Easy. What the fuck? <laughs> Sorry. This Guess. has become fucking. Like Great British Boyd Bake Off. It has, it has. Yeah. See, gradually, Boyd, I don't know if you've realised this, but steadily, slowly, I am becoming you and I'm usurping you. And this came to the fore yesterday when uh, Dermot O'Leary started following me on Twitter. Oh. Out of wow. the blue, out of nowhere, because he just thought, you know what? You know, if I'm going to have a bald friend, I think maybe I'll upgrade. I think maybe I'll pick this one instead. Well, you are taller. That's true. There's taller. more of me. I'm There's better value in that regard. Absolutely, hundred percent. Oh, fair so, enough. Yeah. As long so, as it doesn't unfollow me. And you know, okay. James Corden, albeit reluctantly, still follows me. So that, there's Have you been that. Hanging out with Russell Tovey. No. Does Russell follow me? I don't think he does. Okay, I'll see what I can do about that. Fine. I give it six days max <laughs> before Dermot unfollows him. Like this. Who is this uns- insufferable <laughs> smug? B- no, I'm not going to say the B word. <laughs> not going to say the B word or the I C you word. Said the C word. Yeah. The smug James. Yes, yes. Who is this smug James that I accidentally <laughs> followed thinking he was Boyd Hilton? <laughs> Uh, yeah. So that's Can I just thing. say something about Russell Toby quick? He's doing Latitude. So as we speak, we're a Friday. Weekend, Latitude yeah. starts tomorrow. He is doing his art podcast there, right, where he t- gets people to talk about their art, what they love about art. And guess who? His guest is incredible. Lena Dunham. Lena Dunham. I just, I just saw this. fucking Lena Dunham. How that's pretty that? good. How does that happen? Yeah, we don't have Lena Dunham. He just asked her. That's, yeah. And she went, yeah, all right. <laughs> So I hope she shows up because we're doing this in advance. She'll show up. It'll be fine. But that is a brilliant guy, isn't it? It's pretty good. That's pretty good. I had a dream about Russell Tovey. Well, I had a dream about Boyd. So I had a dream about Boyd that we were on an EasyJet business class flight to New York where Boydie and I were going for work. You were nowhere to be seen. Doesn't surprise me. I imagine you were either plane splaining to the pilot mm. or down the back of the plane trying to get people to watch Fire Escape. Um, and basically, they lost our business class bookings and 
I was going mental. Well, that's like, that's why they couldn't find me because I was clearly in economy and you two were in business. Well, no, so they'd lost it. So they said you're going to have to sit in economy. And Boyd tried to kind of impress them by <laughs> going, "Hang on, hang on, I uh, I'm friends with Russell Tovey. Does that get us an upgrade?" And they said no. Wow, I mean, that is. See, your celebrity friends exactly avail you nothing, Boyd. Yeah. I did actually once fly it to New York with Caroline Ahern. How about this? Years ago. Actually, Please tell me that's not the end of the story. No, and um, this was mid-success mid of the royal family and everything. She was an incredibly famous person. And um, we were flying together on this flight and they wouldn't upgrade us. I was like, I felt, I was furious. I was like, Hang oh, on. I'm fucking her. But if you're Caroline Ahern, or presumably her publicist, her publicist would have... She didn't really have like publicists and stuff. Oh. It wasn't like, yeah, she, was, she kept it real. So it was like, yeah, she didn't, she didn't really want to pay for a, for a first class flight. We thought, well, we might get upgraded. I, th- I was thinking it'd be fine. You're going to get upgraded, and we just weren't. So well, she strikes me as somebody who wouldn't have have given a fuck about being upgraded. No, she didn't. Boyd was furious. I was, yeah, I was, the, was one. the one. I was totally like, I'm getting a fucking first class fight, and I didn't. That's my name drop for this segment of the podcast. Okay, okay. We'll have many more of those to look forward to later on. But let's get straight into what we're watching, and let's start with Terry, who watched Downton Abbey. Now, did you watch the entire feature length pilot? Yes. Okay, good. So you made it all the way through. Yes. Were you tempted to watch a bit more? Yes. So I have some thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Daisy, spirit animal. Yes. Bates, breaks my heart. Thomas, what a dick. (laughs) Carson, would very much like him to be my dad, but not my real dad because he abandoned me. So like uh, like a fake dad who didn't do that. Yeah. Um, Mary... What a bitch. <laughs> Anna would very much like to be her when I grow up. Mrs. O'Brien, what a bitch. Yeah. Those are my thoughts on Downton Abbey. And I may have enjoyed it immensely. How much? See, Cousin Matthew's not in it that much, is he? No. Yeah, because obviously he becomes a big part of it. But um, it's very, it's, what's weird is trying to establish who everybody is, mm. who's going to be like the big important, significant characters and what the significant arcs are going to be. Um, And that's quite exciting. Mm. That's why I love, like, the first episodes of anything because you just don't know what's ahead. It's, It's the... TV, when you when you watch the first episode of something you grow to really love, right, that is the moment of ultimate hope and optimism, don't you think, where anything yeah. is possible narratively from a character perspective. So I, um, I'm taking it easy this weekend and I may be planning to watch <laughs> the first season of Downton Abbey. Oh, you Fuck you, James. A full Downton Abyss. Fuck you. This is amazing. Oh, God, uh, it's like Shakespeare, really. What, what, like, it's Shakespearean. Have you, have you, have you cracked mm. what the appeal is? Do you... Do you I mean, well, but it is Shakespeare, right? It's Shakespeare. Fundamentally, it's about um, all the things that make human relationships interesting. It's mm. about power. It's about betrayal. It's about love. It's about. But when you're within a a traditional um, social structure and power structure within that a hierarchy that society has laid upon you, then you get kind of interesting arcs within that. So you know the kind of duplicity and evil that goes on below stairs and how that contrasts with what goes on above stairs but fundamentally it is about the, the human dynamics that make us you know human beings still today you have not mentioned maggie smith i mean she's um of course but old cantankerous bitch but, but magnificently yeah. so and yeah. purveyor of the best lines in the entire yeah. show oh yeah i mean the way she wears that hat alone <laughs> is extraordinary yeah. um i love it i love it when i was um 
when I was very young, I used to watch House of Elliot with my nana, and it was one of my favourite things ever. And I know it's obviously a completely different period because that was the 1920s, but this really reminded me of like the first time I watched House mm. of Elliot and, and just fell completely into that period thing. And you give away all of your like cynicism and all of your horrible judgments, and you just kind of sink into mm. the marshmallow loveliness. Because a lot happens in the pilot, and I'd kind of forgotten this because you've got the kind of subplot with Thomas and the visiting lord oh and my the Duke. The, yeah and the, Duke, Duke. And, the like, and the letters and like that they have a thing and he gets essentially cast aside that, and that's all very fraught. that moment when when you realize what's really going on yeah. is incredible yeah. and I was like oh it's going to have some of this in it as well and then Lady Mary the scandal oh my god Lady Ma- I mean she like I hate her already I hate her <laughs> and her poor sister oh, when she's like poor Lady um, oh he, he um, skipped the bait and she went at least I have I'm no he, oh, hang on hang on I've got it oh he slipped the hook and she went at least I have bait to be fishing with don't be horrible to your <laughs> yes uglier sister but you know she's yeah. got gifts poor Edith gets shit all the way through this show. Oh, poor, God. Poor, poor Lady Edith. Is, yeah. Ma- is Matthew Crawley in the first episode? He, he is, he is. But he's, like, he's, being in, he's still being yes. quite yeah. frosty and doesn't like them very much. Like, right, he doesn't yeah. like the family, but he doesn't only, like the daughters. There's only the scene at the end... With him. Right. Um, is that the only scene? Yeah. yeah. I, remember, yeah. I was trying to remember the whether they scene. bring him right at the end. Yeah, so you don't Right have... at the end. Yes. Right at the end. He goes, oh. He opens his telegram and goes, oh. Oh, he's planning to change your lives, Mama. And she goes, oh, how extraordinary. Oh, is that it? Wilton, yes. it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't realise because yeah. yeah. like his first meeting with Mary is particularly fun. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that turns into... You have to uh, say, yeah, because um, what's his name, the creator? Oh, you know, the Tory. Julian Fellows. He is brilliant. At, at what you're saying, these mm. first episodes, these, where he can establish 20 characters in about half yeah. an hour, yeah. and you kind of do know them pretty yeah. well. It is incredible. And it's these two yeah. stratas, these two ecosystems, the upstairs mm. and the downstairs, yeah. and the and the hierarchy within the downstairs is yeah. fascinating. Yeah. The fact that, you know, there's the difference between, like, who's to, who's to be a footman, and what's the difference between a footman and then uh, a, a valet. Yeah, yeah, it's a big difference there. And obviously there's a certain tier where they use their first names, and then they use their yeah. surnames when they're more senior. Yeah. And, you know, Mr. Carson is for all intents and purposes the lord below the stairs and it's uh they're also real i love the kind of real moments they dropped in which they're clearly i hope going to pick up on um so when what's her name the 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 woman who runs the whole house what mrs hughes yes and she says um and she says to carson oh do you ever wish you'd gone a different way worked in a shop or in a factory had a wife had children this incredible moment of vulnerability and longing and and clearly something that she'd never said out loud before and he was like oh do you and then that that was gone and Mm. over and they were back to formality and the moment where the other footman was feeling homesick and he said how he loved being busy because then he didn't have time to think and these little snatches into, as Boyd says, when you've got that many characters to be able to have those little emotional mm. beats as well as just doing the kind of fundamental well, positioning of who and what they are is amazing. Well, you wait until you get to the bit where you discover that Mr. Carson used to be part of a travelling circus. Oh I my mean, God. there's so much to come. Oh, my God. <laughs> and what is family and what defines family? There's a lot and... of, there's a lot of uh, like class abrasion yes. where like that cross the divide, forbidden romances. There's lots of that yeah, going and on. Let yeah. me, but let me tell you, Daisy, I've like I'm obsessed with her. She went, when they were going out to greet the Duke, and she was like, "Oh, me and all." He was like, "No, not you." Daisy. <laughs> and she was like, <laughs> "I swear to God, I saw my own face in her yeah, face at yeah, one point." Yeah, you are very much Daisy. Uh, no, I, I love it. Like the Christmas episodes, Christmas in the Highlands, all of those. 
there's so much love. Weirdly, I do think, I, I, not weirdly, it does go off the boil. I do think it mm. goes. I'm really looking forward to the movie, which now you're looking forward to as well, <laughs> much against yeah. your better judgment. Because you were oh. like, like, I can't wait to see it. And you're like, oh, fucking hell. And now oh. you're going to be like, oh, but you can't watch it now because it'd be a massive spoiler. You've got to work through all of the uh, episodes. How many seasons? You've got 52 episodes. How many seasons on the board? Is it six six, six seasons? 52 episodes. But bear in mind, there's a Christmas special each year. And and yeah, there's two episodes a year that are feature length. Yeah. The first episode is feature length and the Christmas special. And the Christmas special. You have to watch the Christmas special. Boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. It's a lot. Lots of stuff happens. Illicit pregnancies. Oh, there's so much stuff. I'm jealous. I've watched every single fucking episode. Yeah, so have I. Loved it. I used to do quite a few of They used to do like big interviews with him on Apple. I used to do those. Oh, really? Yeah. The last season I thought wasn't, you know, that was the weakest one. Like I kind of coasted through I think he'd season. run out because he was doing other lots of other yeah, things. Yeah, on the, yeah. Still got other things. Mm. Um, he did that Titanic thing, which which, which failed. He did yeah. a big Titanic oh, yeah. um, drama on ITV yeah. Sunday night, which is going to be his next big thing. And he did the same thing. In the first episode, was basically upstairs and downstairs on the Titanic. Thirty-two characters introduced in an hour and a half, but they weren't. It didn't mm. quite work. Yeah. And people, yeah. Also, isn't it hard to invest in people when you know they're going to die? Right. That could have something yeah. to do. I with mean, it. Yeah, yeah, that that seems entirely fair. <laughs> Good point. I think. It's only uh, what someone I'd realised. <laughs> we'd really like you to invest in these people for the next yeah. seven days yeah. until they meet their watery grave. <laughs> Weekly Downton updates from now on. Yes. Um, excellent. Boyd, what have you been watching? What have I been watching? I got up this morning um, to have a look at my Netflix and um, I was going to watch the, um, the, uh, the robbery drama that I mentioned last week, the Spanish robbery drama. Uh-huh. Um, but instead, I found myself watching Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with Jerry Seinfeld because there's 12 new episodes of that and it's one of my favourite things. The first episode is with Eddie Murphy and is wow. um, most of the episodes are like 15 to 20 minutes long and they're brilliant anyway. It's just him, if you've never seen it, driving along in some swanky car with a famous comedian guest and they're going to get coffee and they chat shit. Um, and, but the Eddie Murphy one is like 40, 45 minutes long so it's a proper kind of juicy chat with him about all kinds of oh, stuff. Oh, I'd love to watch that. I'm obsessed with Eddie Murphy. Fantastic, honestly. And then other people in it, you've got um, Ricky Gervais is in it across two episodes. Um, and it is just, it's just fantastic. So yeah, I'll okay. be watching that. No, I'm definitely going to watch it because he doesn't do any press, Eddie Murphy does, not much. Anyway. No. Uh, and I, I love him. I absolutely love Seth him. Seth Rogen's also, I'm just getting up now, the people are in it. Seth Rogen, Rick, Matthew Broderick, Jamie Foxx, now, you may notice in a minute, Martin Short, who's one of my heroes, there aren't that many women. In fact, let me just count. Uh, there are two women, Bridget Everett and Melissa Villasenor, which is, out of 12, is not great. But apart from that, it's a brilliant show. Well, I'm only going to watch the Eddie Murphy one anyway. So. Okay. Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did we discuss, you know, we, we talked about Big Little Lies last week. We did. But I think the big... We're going so we to oh, okay, okay, get on to that. We're going to get on to that. I mean, I am up to date on Big Little Lies. and after, it's the same, yeah. You know the thing before the thing last week? Yeah. Like, so I was interested that the thing obviously got addressed, but the thing before the thing didn't get addressed much. Like, that was... I'm going to like more from the thing before the thing. Now, the thing at the end, again, that did get addressed. Yeah. But... Again, I wasn't entirely satisfied with how that how that got. Yeah, quite quickly. But then more stuff happened, and the mm. way this one ends was mm. like, oh, mm. oh. I mean, I, I, right now I can't wait for the finale on yeah. Monday. The thing after the thing after yeah. the thing was. But we'll talk about the issue. Was a thing. We're we talking about the issue in news. Is that yeah, we'll go? talk about okay. the issue in news. Right. Um, what have I been watching? I picked up Killing Eve season two again because it occurred Killing to me. Eve? <laughs> Killing Eve. Killing Eve. Killing Eve. I've gone full uh, upstairs. Um, Killing Eve. Yeah, so I went back to to Killing Eve. It occurred to me I only watched the first two episodes of season two before moving on to other things. Which was which was silly of me. So I've gone back to that and I'm really enjoying it. So I'm storming through Killing Eve. I also started watching the last season of Jessica Jones. Oh, why? 
I don't, it, a rewatch. What, I don't know what I think. I, for some reason, at the moment I started watching it, I only had access to Netflix, and I saw it there and went, "Yeah, all right." And I started watching. It. So I've seen, I think, the first three, and and I'm I'm quite pleased with it. It's not it's not super exciting at this stage, but I think mm. it's still getting going. Um, but you know, some quite shocking things happen. There's a stabbing which kind of comes out of nowhere. It's quite Trish heavy, which is. I, I have no idea what that Not means. a great thing. Like, I don't find Trish to be the most compelling character. Mm. So that's that's unfortunate. Also, there's a point where Kristen Ritter does do kind of like stink face all the time. Do you know what I mean? Like she has that like eye rolly sort of like ugh face. Like she has stink <laughs> face all the time. And it gets to the point where you're just like... Stink face? I, I'm, I'm calling it stink face. Call, is that your own face? Yes, I'm calling oh, it stink wow. face. It's that kind of like... It's it's almost like, you know, it's bad smell face. Like she has it. Yeah, just stop grimacing. Pull another expression. Yeah, another expression. Just a different expression. Okay. Even if that expression is also of disdain, mm. maybe just, you know, mm. a little less stink face. Mm. But anyway, I'm going to watch the rest of this. I don't know at what speed, but I plan to make it through to the end of Jessica Jones. Yeah, <laughs> I should emphasise that is not my way of saying smile love to uh, well, Kristen Ritter. That know. is absolutely not what I'm do you saying. Know, I <laughs> held my breath at that point. Yeah, it's not like, I, like I, I say disdain say, is fine. Just different shades of disdain. All please. I will say is men very rarely get accused of that thing in the same way. Nobody goes, oh, did you see The Rock had that That's true. same face That's very his true. entire film? Because um, uh, Kristen Stewart gets it a lot as well, doesn't yep. she? But then she does have perma stink face too. <laughs> so do, here's the thing. So do loads of fucking men. It's just women are expected no, to No, you're probably right. You're probably con- right. Well, you know. let's, like, there's got to be one. Let, let's think of one now. Go on. And one, that's what I'm saying. Help me. Um, with who, what? With a, with a male stink face, because there's bound to be some. Let's find some. I know it's quite hard to do this on the spot. Boyd, help us out. What, so we think of a man who has the same, not well, just the same expression, but that but, expression. No, just a similar sort of like, like you know, like, you well, know. okay. So, mm. Edward in Twilight, i.e. Robert does. Pattinson, he does. his yeah. face is the entire yeah. way through. He it's, does. Yeah, that's true. Like, he doesn't, it's his not face quite doesn't move. stink face, but it's similar to. It is. He has perpetual fucking bewildered yeah. face. Well, yeah. And that's yeah. not good either. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think it's just, it's variants of expression. But yes, no, we, we definitely don't hold to the uh, that awful trope that, oh, maybe we should just smile Nobody more. expects Robert no. Pattinson to smile. No, but we expect him to look less bewildered. Yes, yeah. we'd like him to. We'd like him to. We'd like him to. Looking forward to Batman. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that takes us now to Funny or Dire, our regular segment in which we revisit a classic episode of comedy chosen by you. Uh, the subject of this week's experiment was chosen by Jake French and is Scrubs Season 6, Episode 6, My Musical, which, I've got to be honest, is an odd choice. Because uh, I think, like, as a musical episode, I think this is actually clever and well executed, but I would say this is not as funny as this show can get by a long stretch because I've seen a number of scrubs in the past mm. uh, and it can be really funny this is just it's, it's an interesting device so the idea in this particular one is a patient comes in with a brain aneurysm and one of the side effects of her brain aneurysm is that she everyone around her around her appears to be in musical theatre well let's just clarify because when she, she's not brought in with an aneurysm she's brought in and they think she's mad yeah they because, do so, you know, but, but it turns out and then spoiler, it turns out she has an aneurysm to be an aneurysm and there's an incredible like you know she must be mad yeah, she minutes. must be nuts. She must be nuts. That's the whole thing. So, uh, she, yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting device in that Scrub so they only sing. You are scrubs <laughs> Uh 
she only sings when, or rather, the cast only sings when she's present. Yes. So when she's out the room, they speak normally, and as soon as she enters the room, they burst into song. And I think the songs are very, very musical theatre to the point where they almost feel like riffs on existing. There's a like, gre- there's a whole grease. We go together like yeah, and there's a lay Miz bit in yeah. there as well. So, it's, so, and I watch this, but it's very, very hard. I think these days to look at a musical episode and not see it through the prism of Once More with Feeling, mm-hmm. uh, which is the high watermark mm-hmm. for musical episodes. And I think what Joss Whedon did with that episode of Buffy was not only create an incredible musical episode with amazing, memorable, brilliant musical numbers, but the amount of emotional and narrative ground covered in that episode is almost more than any other episode of that fucking show. And yet he does it through the medium of song. And and that was the device, right? Is the things that were unspoken or unsaid or with their deepest fears, desires, needs... That they, it was such a simple device, but it was so fucking mm. effective because actually it's the juxtaposition of the musical, which seems frothy and without substance. And actually the fact that, as you say, it's it's doing this incredible amount of emotional storytelling, yeah. that it's fucking genius. And this all this dis- is not that. <laughs> no, and this is all despite the fact that Alison Hannigan couldn't sing and therefore basically doesn't participate in the episode. <laughs> uh, but no, we are not talking Whereas about that. there are a lot of people who can't sing in this episode who do participate. Yeah. 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 Um, I think this is different, isn't it? This is just like, I feel like this is in the middle of a big run of a big yes. show and they're thinking of what ideas can we have and they've, and of course they thought, right, let's do a musical episode and they've found quite a good plot device to enable yeah, the they do it well. numbers, but mm. I agree with you. The problem with it is, is I think the reason it was chosen is because it is memorable. You know, you go, oh yeah, that was that mm. musical episode they did, but actually it's one of, in my opinion, the least effective episodes because it's kind of all the all the strong points of the show which are the characters yeah. are lessened due to the fact they've all got to sing these fucking Absolutely. songs um, John C. McGinley I think is the, is, oh, is yeah. the best thing in it mm. generally is like his power is completely reduced because he's got to sing these songs yeah. and he's really harsh and horrible all the way through Scrubs um, to Zach Braff but that, and that just doesn't come across well enough in this episode although so I that, like the bit when the patient steps in front of him and calls JD Mary Beth in song yeah, to was, try and get on yeah. I thought that was oh, quite a nice moment great, they're a lovely but, moments and that you know and it, I kind of admired it because the songs are clever and the lyrics are very smart and as you say they're, they're pastiches but I might, and it's just not funny. It wasn't no, funny. it is not funny. funny. It's no, not funny. At no point is no, it funny. At no point. I'm not a massive fan of Scrubs, but there have definitely been, you know, it's one of those things that it'd come on, you wouldn't be asked to turn it off. You might have a half laugh inside the very depths of your soul, which if you really forced it could come out of your mouth into an actual real world physical <laughs> laugh. But this is one of the unfunniest things yeah. I've seen. I mean, what Terry's saying is it's no Downton Abbey. Um, <laughs> I will say that this is not the worst musical episode ever. I think that particular award possibly goes to Grey's Anatomy. Do you remember the musical episode of Grey's Anatomy? No. I didn't see it. I was aware. Fucking hell! No, no, they didn't actually they do absolutely that. Absolutely did. I think it's one of the camera, one of the characters is in a coma or a car accident, or something, and it's all musical, and it's just make it stop, make it stop. So it's yes. funny because the question, "Would you do a musical episode?" is asked, I think, of pretty much every yeah. show. And I remember once yeah. being a, a Doctor Who screening, and Stephen Moffat was asked, "Would you do a musical episode of Doctor Who?" And he was like, "Fuck!" Fuck. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a musical episode of This Is England is something that I oh think is still God. Uh, holding on for. Wow. Oh my God, James! <laughs> Be more chanting, really, wouldn't it, than yeah. uh, singing? But still, yeah. still, yeah. I'm on board with PJ that. PJ Harvey. I mean, you know, they could do. She could do yeah. the songs. Yeah. Could I mean, it, it would. It would 
wouldn't be the most upbeat musical. No, probably not. <laughs> not many song song and dance numbers, no. maybe. Uh, sorry, Jake, you, you you dropped the ball on that one. I'm afraid. I think Scrubs was a good was a good choice. A good instinct there. Bad yeah. choice of episode. So did that make me laugh? No. Did it make any of us laugh? No. Uh, so next week, though, next week, let's let's hope for the best. Next week's subject comes from a number of people, actually, uh, and is Peep Show, Series Two, Ooh. Episode Four, University Challenge. Which um, I believe, according to the internet, is often held as the ultimate oh, episode of Peep Show. I mean, I love Peep Show, so yeah. Fine. The Wedding was another one that was kicked yeah. around. Oh, yeah, The Wedding. I, uh, I don't remember what you knew. But University Challenge like... is the one that I picked. I don't know anything about it. I've never seen an episode of Peep Show ever. I mean, that's very good. Something I admitted to yeah. Sam Bain on the other podcast. Great. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this, and I'm hoping that I like it. I do not know where this will fall on my humorometer. No, so, I mean, it's you know, if you want to rewatch that one before next week, then fill your boots uh, and we'll, you know, find out then. <laughs> right. There's a lot to get through in news. So I suggest <laughs> before we get on to the Emmys, let's get into the other thing first. So we've referenced it already. This is Big Little Lies, uh, which, of course, was directed by Jean-Marc Vallée for season one. And he is replaced in season two by Andrea Arnold because he was busy doing sharp objects. Now... As it emerged over the last few days, IndieWire did a piece on this. Um, Andrea Arnold was, uh, shall we say, I believe hired for her vision. I believe Jean-Marc Vallée thought he saw a kindred spirit in her and thought that she would be similar to him. But anyway, they said that they wanted her unique sensibility for this. They wanted it to be very much her show. And yet it has emerged that that maybe was not the case. And they have valet whitewashed her work and tried to turn it into his work. And this, Terry, by the expression on your face, is something that makes you want to set the world on fire. <laughs> it's, it's made me so angry I can't watch Well, no, we've discussed this. You, we, I'm going to make have, you watch James, it regardless. James is insistent. Yeah. Again, a man trying to control what a woman does. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, let's yeah. just leave that on the table for one minute. Um, I found this story so upsetting. And we should just say that IndieWire reported this story out with mm-hmm. several sources. Um, it was a really long-form piece of original reporting. It was. Um, HBO put out, did put out a statement um, which had no denial of the basic story, but they had a quote which said, there would be no season two of Big Little Lies without Andrea Arnold. That was their statement. Mm. Um, which, if even part of what Big Little, um, uh, if even part of what IndieWire has reported is true, is incredibly disingenuous. Mm. So, as you say, she was brought on um, board, led to believe she was given full creative control once she was done, the shoot was done, and she was editing in London with her own team. There were moves for him to set up his own edit. It was taken from her. Those episodes were all re-edited by him and his team and then there were 17 days of reshoots, which have been described as she was there on set, as was he, and that it was very much under his close supervision is what it's been de- being described as. she have to be there as. for DJ rules, I think, is that right? Yeah, yeah. but also, and it's, it's, it, there are sources in the story saying she is absolutely devastated mm. at what happened because she, creative control was taken away from her and that was not the deal. As you say, she was brought on for her vision. You know, anybody who's seen any of her films, whether it's Fish Tank, whether it's American Honey, whether it's Wuthering Heights, she has a sensibility, an aesthetic sensibility more than anything and a way of telling stories that is really interesting and really unique there's there's kind of some com- conversation about you know 
Well, TV is much more about um, within a show having a certain overarching mm. style, mm. which maybe they were just trying to get her work to fit within that. There has clearly been an epic kind of, uh, at the very best, there's been an epic fail in communication where a female director has been led to believe she has complete creative control. And that has been taken off her, not during the shoot, but afterwards when it comes to crafting it. People have commented that some of the episodes have seemed kind of weird or chaotic or the editing, something seemed off for some people which I think that's part of a retrospective thing but also people were saying it at the time I think it's fair to say that treating a female filmmaker who by the way is telling stories originally written by a woman and this is a show which is about yeah. platforming female narratives for this to have been done to a female storyteller, I think is, it's not just a bad look, it's incredibly mm. and unprofessional. And I cannot imagine to be Andrea Arnold, the woman, she's Oscar nominated, right? To be Andrea Arnold and to have to endure that humiliation, which shouldn't be her humiliation because she didn't do anything wrong, but to have to endure that publicly now, yeah. I think must be so devastating. Like, you can definitely try and push the narrative that TV should have an overarching style. And yes, and also I would go so far as to say on a lot of TV, directors are a little bit like director of the week, their job thing, and that's fine for TV as a whole. But if that's the case, then get a jobbing yes. director to do it and don't promise someone yes. that you're hiring them for their style don't get a named director and then get some man to kind of direct splain over her work because uh, I think really she was just missold a horrendous bill of goods with this uh, and that seems to be the biggest problem here um, but as we said you know it makes you want to punish them however Terry you're not allowed to punish us so you still have to watch it because there are many things in there that I want to discuss with you well and here's the thing it's not about punishing and I think it's worth saying that you know um, Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman are both producers on this neither have commented by the way yeah. so far mm. but there are many people who work on this whose hard work is now not completely erased because yes. of what's happened of course and I just I just find it very hard to watch it when it's so fresh when you know what has gone mm. on in terms oh, of the creation I, of it I mean it's besmirched the whole thing for me and it's, it is it is devastating because I mean I I've been loving it I so yeah, I so totally I. and now I feel completely guilty yeah. for loving it as you much feel as I have done dirty. and also for kind of not reason because because you're right there has been a lot of retro mm. you know um, people saying oh it's always and there, and you could see some people online saying it had got a bit messy in terms of the editing and 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 but for me fundamentally it's still a brilliant show mm. it is still a brilliant show and a lot of that I'm sure is down to both. David E. Kelly's writing. I think officially he's the showrunner, right? So there's, mm. there's I'm not, uh, I'm, it's just, it's interestingly complicated. And then in, again in that report, they said he wasn't on set that much and he did leave it to Andrew Arnold, which is quite rightly, you know. Yeah. He's written it, it's fine. She, Andrew Arnold, they've brought in Andrew Arnold, as you say, this brilliant auteur and um, let, let her let her do what she wants to do. And there were all those quotes from those stars and exec producers saying how excited they were and how what a brilliant job she did. Yeah. All the way through of creating this show. So then, so I, I, I didn't see any great fault in it, actually. Yeah. Um, it's a different kind, slight, it is different in a way. And it is, there is a slight messiness to it, but I kind of like that. Um, and there was some incredible sequences that I feel now, and now I'm looking back going, oh, so that's very Andrew Arnoldy, this bit here. There's a bit, I'm not the first person, but there's a Guardian feature that pointed out there's a scene in, in the courtroom where she walks in, Nicole Kidman walks in yeah. in the previous episode that's very her and, and you know, it feel, anyway, long story short, my, my, what, I'm, what baffles me about the whole thing is, Jean-Marc Vallée, the only reason he, the main, one of the reasons he didn't do season two is because he did um, uh, the crime series that we loved on Shop HBO. Objects, Thank yeah. you, Shop Objects. And did a brilliant job on that, right? They bring Andrew Arnold in. 
to do what she to do what she does. She whatever she delivered. Even if, say, in theory, Mark, John Mark Valley and the HBO people and everyone thought, oh, it's a bit kind of, you know, words like indulgent, maybe they thought it was a bit too slow, maybe they thought she hadn't quite had the same, didn't have quite the same snappiness, narrative narratives as season one. F- who, fuck it, it's HBO. This yeah. is the place mm. where you go yeah. to for bold storytelling and and you go to it for this kind of thing. You don't. You, it's not NBC, it's not a mainstream American TV channel. They didn't have to do this. And that, that's what really bewilders me. Mm. It's like, as you say, it's, it's, it feels to me, and this is all supposition on my part, but it's like, for some reason, John Mark Valley, I felt they had to stamp their thing on it. But now everyone, I really love to see mm. her version of it. Yeah. And, and it's not like those twats that want to, you know, release the original version. Release the Arnold cut, yeah. yeah. Release you know, the Snyder cut. Some yeah. fucking DC superhero <laughs> film. This is like, I want to see her creative vision yeah. of this brilliant story with these amazing characters, these brilliant actresses. And I feel I've been deprived of that. Yeah. So that now is my overarching thing, mm. as opposed to just that it's a really good show still. And what and what's more confusing is there was reporting in that story saying the difficulty was all the way through. So when they were getting the dailies, they were saying how great it was and everything yeah. during the shoot and everything they right. were seeing as she shot, they loved. Yeah. And let's be clear, she'd only just started the edit when it was taken away from her. So how do you know right. it's yeah. too right. exactly. flabby or exactly. too fat or too slow? Yeah. You haven't like, let yeah. her do her edit. Yeah. And it does, what you're saying makes more sense, which is it feels like more of a personal wrestle for control than it does somebody going hang on you need to parachute in and save something because you'd have realised way before when they were getting the dailies at the start of the shoot if it was that significant a problem they would have said this isn't really yeah. working out, and there'd yeah. have been a solution at that. And I was point. thinking about her films actually, like because I read another thing about saying how she, you know she's this is a this is a bit mainstream for her because her films are so you know arty. But actually, when you watch her films, even the two and a half hour um, Amer- America thingy one. <laughs> I forget the names. American of Honey. Thank you, American Honey. Even that, a long film, it's it's very enjoyable mm. while you're watching it. She doesn't. She's not. A, she's not a self-indulgent. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have long, boring scenes for the sake of it. It's a. It's a very entertaining, you know, film. And mm. all the films are like they're very compelling. And I think that. So I just don't buy the whole. This whole. I think she's been cast as a kind of indulgent indie person. Yeah, mm. that's not. And the I don't thing, think that yeah. is right at all. Mm. She's a brilliant, brilliant director who who makes very, very in, involving, um, unbelievably compelling. Films. I, sh- I want to see her version of this. I should clarify, like when I when I was speaking before about jobbing directors, I don't in any way want to diminish no, what no, TV no. directors do, uh, and I think that probably came across quite badly, which is not oh, what no, I was meant to do. You're right, but, but you know what I mean. A... What I'm saying is that in terms of the directorial vision in film, it is much more of about about the director style, sure. about the director. Whereas in TV, there is an expectation that a director fits into right. the style but of the, the show, is... with the exception of things like True Detective, or as right. you say, when they have a directorial. And, Vision. Many, many TV shows, including ones on HBO and Netflix and everything, have one or two yes. or three or four yes. directors mm. for an eight-part series. Yes. The whole thing about this show is they got one director, one director. Andrew Arnold, and, yeah. and when they made and those that, are the and everyone's like punching in the air, like, that yeah. makes yes. sense. Because even though her style is different to Jean-Marc Vallée, and she, it, it's like, yeah, oh, that's going to work, because there are certain similarities, there are differences, and everyone's like, yeah, this is going to be brilliant to see her version of this thing, and that's what we've been denied, and she's been denied, more importantly. Indeed. Indeed. Terrible. Um... Andrew Arnold released a statement. It was, of course, rewritten by Jean-Marc Vallée. <laughs> oh, James. <laughs> Kidding. That's not true. Lawyers, I just made that up. Sorry, Lawyers. guys. Sorry, guys. I think we're at the point where I don't think they're going to hit no. upon your I, joke. I think, you think they're bigger fish they've got fry. bigger problems. Okay, But it's interesting that nothing's been denied about that whole no, story. No, by anyone and, she's, involved. and she hasn't commented, she hasn't commented at all. No. No. And at fair all. play to her for being super classy as well. You yeah. know, I but, think that's... But, you know. even, but also... 
I don't even know if it's been super classy because she should be able to talk about what happened to her because actually there's something really valuable for our industry to learn about the way that female filmmakers in particular are treated. Mm. But also I just think while everybody's being supportive, I would personally find this a really humiliating situation mm. to have the finer details of, a, of probably the most difficult working relationship of your life broadcast for everybody to read yeah. and to know that creative control has been taken away from you and have people commenting on why that might be and why maybe you're not a good enough director. Like, I cannot think of anything more mm. difficult and humiliating for any filmmaker to have to go through. So quite frankly, she, if she wanted to like speak about it for two days, then she should do that. If she just wants to shut the fuck up and not have to explain herself or mm. talk about this anymore to anybody, then she's perfectly within her rights to do all of it. Yeah. Okay, well, there's lots of other news. So we best move on. <laughs> um, let's get to the Emmys last. So let's just gallop through the other bits and bobs first. Oh, okay. There are a few little bits. There's a new picture from Picard, but I'm not going to talk about it because oh, I'm going to spare you this week. Except, you know. Is there, how it, could there be another one? There was just, only one last him week. It's, it's him and the dog, and dog standing in the fucking vineyard again. At this point, Eva, I'm it's like, can I, can, I see a, can I see a spaceship? Can, no, he's facing the other way this time. Oh, uh, I'm a bit like, come on. Like, it would kill you to have a phaser or a Klingon. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, along those lines, though. Terry, there's a Warhammer 40,000 TV series in development. I don't know what those words mean. Well, allow me to explain in excruciating detail. So, uh, the man in the High Castle creator and former X-Files writer Frank Spotnitz is uh, is working to move Games Workshop's Warhammer 40,000 desktop strategy game, which is the little, you know, the little lead figures. You know Games Workshop, where all the people with beards like and you. poor personal hygiene work. Yeah. yeah. But that, that play- sorry to anyone who works in Games Workshop. And, uh, and uh, but it's true. And, uh, you know, they had the little lead figures that they paint uh-huh. and stuff. You Will not surprise you to hear that I did that as a teenager. Of course you did. Uh, teenager, my <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, anyway, that universe, which I have to say is an incredibly rich universe. I'm obsessed with the universe. It's this grim, dark, it's really brutal. It's all space marines and this the Imperium of Man, lots of Latin and portentous stuff in it. Anyway, so they are turning that into a series, but they're basing it on a character called Eisenhorn, who's like an Imperial Inquisitor, because it's it's terribly racist, Warhammer 40,000. Where no, but racist against aliens. Like, so they have a real thing against the Xenos, the corrupt Xenos. It's all very thinly veiled. Anyway, so that voice, Eisenhorn that voice is coming up again. Eisenhorn is 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 the the lead in a character. He's a lead in a character. He's the lead character in a series of books by. Da- stop yawning. Stop <laughs> stop sorry. stop theatrically yawning. I didn't even. That just came out. My anyway, phone. he's the lead character in a series of books written by Dan Abnett, which it will not surprise you to hear that I've read. Uh, and uh, and he's an inquisitor. And so this series is going to be focused on Eisenhorn, and it's going to be set in the Warhammer Forty Thousand universe. And I am so here for this. I cannot even tell you i'm super mega ultra excited anyway more importantly um ted danson <laughs> and tina fey have you seen this it was announced today yeah. teaming up for a new comedy on nbc two legends two giants of tv comedy she's writing it he's going to star in it. i think she'll be in it as well he's going to play a businessman who runs for mayor of la for the wrong reasons once he wins he has to figure out what he stands for gain the respect of his stuff and connect with his daughter while controlling it's it sounds a bit like a kind of trump comment to me there aren't really enough dark eldar in there for me boy no i know i know but forget that um but one one of my favorite things about this whole thing is is um tina Fey's statement which was we're thrilled to be back home nbc and writing for one of the network's greatest stars of all time mary steenburgen's husband (laughs) (laughs) very good good very good uh gossip girl is getting sequeled slash rebooted did you see this isn't it always? Yeah, I thought no, it already yeah. has been. No, 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 no. So, no, <laughs> no, no, no. it already yeah, has been. I thought so, yeah. James, <laughs> it already has been. Maybe we imagined it. No, it hasn't. Okay. It what has. are you talking about? It has. Where? <laughs> on the television. Hang on. What? 
This is not a thing. That is not a thing. Is there? I'm very confused. Well, anyway. What's this one? Hang on. So when was this reboot? So Gossip Girl was a thing and it ran and it finished. Yeah. When did it come back? Like recently. You're making this up. I might I don't know. I mean, it feels that way to me, but I don't know if I might. You're literally <laughs> making... You know what Gossip Girl is, do you? It's that um, uh, Penn Bad- Bagley, Badgley <laughs> thing about rich kids on the Upper East Side. It, well, it is about that, yes. And, Penn uh, Badgley. What, what's his name, boys? You know. Um, you work yeah, at Heat Magazine. Yeah, Penn, Penn Badgley. Yeah. And Kristen Bell Actually, is you know the titular Gossip Girl. I think it never actually did come back. I, think I know! This is what I'm telling you. Yeah, it was what you're saying. It was just Gossip. Yeah. Girl. Anyway, I'm so, sorry our, our um, knowledge of Gossip Girl isn't as deep as yours. <laughs> it's true, it isn't. Uh, yeah, so so Gossip Girl is coming back, but it, there was talk. It's been, I think there has been talk. There's been talk of yes, a revival for. Uh, it was at the CW they were talking about this, I think. Uh, but this is going to be a spin off set several years after the original series. Uh, so I think it's going to follow a new group of Upper East Side teens with lots and lots of privilege and money. It sounds fascinating. All right, fine. You know, it was a very popular show. I'm just we saying. don't um, we don't see enough stories about uh, really rich people <laughs> in positions of privilege. Maybe we could have a few more. All right, fine. Well, should I tell you that the first image of a roach in The Witcher appeared? Roach, of course, being the Witcher's horse. Oh my god! You really right? <laughs> what is happening? No, no, no. There's more. There's at least two other things, and one of them Terry wanted to discuss. Terry story, and the other one I want to discuss. There's going to be two Go things. On. I'm going to discuss mine after Terry. But Terry, I believe you first probably want to talk about Thirteen Reasons Why. Oh uh, yes, I do want to talk about Thirteen Reasons Why. <laughs> so um, there was news this week that uh, Netflix have edited out the very controversial. Um, and very graphic suicide scene um, in season one. Quite why it's happened now. Boy, do you know why now? No. Is it th- that's three why? years? Three years, two, at least I two. Know, I th- well, my guess is, it is weird, but there's a third season on the way yeah. fairly soon, and I think they didn't want people to, because that has remained controversial throughout, because when season two arrived, there was the, the people were talking about that still, yeah. and saying you have, you know, you, you, you're not dealing with these issues in sensitive ways you should, you're not paying enough attention to the experts on this, and I think, I think they just wanted to, I don't know, nip it in the bud, but it is weird. Yeah. It is, and, and people have reacted, it's interesting, it seems to have split people, so, mm. well, people on Twitter specifically, which maybe isn't a good gauge of um, humanity, but uh, a lot of people are saying, oh, don't be so sensitive, there's a warning before it, people can just skip it. My feelings on this are that however this is rated, wherever the people who make this programme think it's positioned, it looks firmly like it is aimed at teenagers. Um, A lot of uh, teenagers I know, I don't know loads of teenagers, but but, um, parents, I know a lot of parents with kids who are teenagers. Um, I genuinely, genuinely, genuinely felt that the scene was so graphic. It's one of the most detailed, if not the most detailed depiction of suicide I've ever seen on TV or film it is fundamentally a step-by-step how-to guide of slitting your wrists and I think there was a level of gross irresponsibility with that you can put warnings on you can put that and it isn't about sensitivity and people go oh people are so sensitive these days it is not about offending people it is not about being sensitive it's about having a sense of responsibility Mm. as a program maker to safeguard portions of your audience that will take things away from that that they shouldn't and this isn't about a nanny stay and people not being responsible for their own actions it is that if if 
if you are able to watch something and understand step by step how you could do that to yourself, which is why these restrictions exist, which is why people are so careful with depictions of suicide and self-harm in TV and films for this very, very reason. And to show it in such detail and such practical and granular detail, I have always felt really strongly was hugely irresponsible on behalf of everybody involved. However, why now? Fuck knows. It seems really, it seems like shutting the, what's that saying? Bolting doors, horses, horses bolting doors everywhere. Friends, kind of bastardisation. It's weird, yeah. Horses everywhere. (laughs) Horses everywhere. Horses everywhere. Yeah, it does feel a little bit. Like a couple of years too late on this. Uh, and they, they doubled down on it. I mean, they defended it at the mm. time and said, no, we absolutely were mm. certain we wanted to show this. So clearly they're less certain now. Mm-hmm. I don't think you needed it. I think that show was absolutely traumatic enough mm. without that, even thematically. I don't think you needed it for, for, for emotional weight. I mean, there was enough of that in there. Anyway, weirdly, I found that I, I was obsessed with that series when it was on and I watched it compulsively. I didn't watch season two because I found its use of uh, sexual assault problematic mm. uh, and I think I, weirdly I had more issues with that and apparently they doubled down on that in season two and I was like nope not for me yeah but I do so I think and I agree with you like the even the rape in season one um, I found very difficult to watch but I do think there is a distinction between something being disturbing mm. and something being irresponsible mm. and I yep, think yep, that there is a things. very different mm. thing and I think something being a matter of taste is one thing but I don't think this was a matter of taste no this this was I agree I think this this was an element of of just being thoroughly irresponsible in what they were showing. And, you know, no one's saying that this led to a spike in suicides. However, there was one Mm. shortly after it aired, and that may or may not be related to it. But, you know, even if there's a hint that that might be possible, then you go in and you sort this out because you have responsibility. Anyway, that's 13 Reasons Why. The other thing I want to mention is the fact that the people who brought us Jack Ryan will soon be bringing us... (laughs) Jack Reacher for Lee Child's creation, The Man Mountain, the man with fists the size of supermarket hams and a scything elbow to die for. Uh, Jack Reacher. Unless he's played by Tom Cruise. Unless he's played by Tom Cruise. (laughs) He's coming to the small screen. Could be played by Tom Cruise. I seriously doubt it. Uh, but it's going to be a limited series, or it's going to be an ongoing series. But I imagine mm. it will be like like uh, like Jack Ryan. It will be a, a, a sort of a run, possibly dealing with one book. I would say in the first season. Could, I mean, there's like twenty four, twenty six books, maybe. There's loads of them. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, twenty three, twenty three novels, I think. And there's a twenty fourth coming out in September. So this, I'm very excited about this. Chris McQuarrie is exec producing this, who of course uh, directed the big screen Jack Reacher. Um, yeah. yeah, like I'm down with this. He did a really good job with that first film. He mm. did. The second um, film I do not like. No. Well, I um, enjoyed it, but it wasn't mm. always good. The first one was a proper, really good, really well-made thriller. Film. thriller. But yeah. I think, and, and I really like it as well, I think Macquarie's excellent. I think Tom Cruise is excellent in it. However, I feel it is not a Jack Reacher oh, no, film. Oh, completely. Yeah. But I don't think that's that's a bad thing. Like, it's fine. Do you think it they're going to cast a tall um, person? I think you have to. This is what's fascinating me. Yeah. Are they going to go anti-kind of what they've yeah. done in cinema and go, yes, we're going to do a type? Do. Yes. You have to. To do It'd it. be funny if they didn't. It'd be funny if they cast someone who's a bit like Tom. No, no, like, like but actually casting this, this really role. Fuck over this the is band. John Cruise. This is this is a really he's difficult role to cast. It's a very difficult role to cast because yeah. you know, first of all, he's uh, he's of a certain age, so it can't be like a new unknown. It would have to be a slightly older unknown. And also, if you want him leading it, you want someone slightly recognisable. But you are limited to your uh, to your to your Liev Schreiber's and your mm. Joe Mang- Manganiello's and like, people like that who are huge 
imposing slabs mm. of I mean, beef. Liam Neeson would have been perfect like 10, 20, 10 years ago. No, he's he too wouldn't. thin. He's too thin. He's, he's always like, been thin. Is he thin? Yeah, yeah, he's been thin even as a young man. Is yeah, it? he's it's, slender. He's all, he's all yeah. about the violence. Yeah. Jack but he's Reacher, not about the build. Not Michael oh. Collins. Uh, oh. No, no, no. You need someone who's like as broad as they are tall. You know, bear in mind this is a guy who stops a 22. As broad as they are. Who stops a 22 caliber <laughs> bullet know. with his pectoral muscle. <laughs> you know, so yeah, that's, oh, okay. this, this could be interesting. I'll see what they do with this, but I'm obviously very, very down for this particular mm-hmm. thing. Anyway, that leads us to the no, Emmys. Boyd? one more thing before no? the Emmys. Okay. Uh, you know, Oliver Jackson Cohen is going to be in the sequel to um, The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Blind Manor. I did so, see that. Um, and this is when I first saw this, I thought, oh, that means there's going to be a connection between the two stories, because obviously this is a completely different story. This one is based on the turn of the screw, but he is just playing a different character. So it's not necessarily, there isn't necessarily a link between, but it's still interesting that they're casting him, yeah. who was one of the standouts from season mm. one in season two, and I'm very pleased they are, because I think he's really good, and I'm really excited about Looking show. forward to that a lot. <laughs> so what were your general feelings, Emmy Woods, other than the fact that everyone's just decided that Game of Thrones deserves some awards? I mean, it's Game of Thrones show, but I think it was heartening to see Killing Eve get more and in and kind of spread around the cast and crew, right? So Jodie Comer was famously overlooked last time, yep. which is an absolute fucking disgrace. <laughs> she and Sandra Oh got nods these these times. Got nods these times. <laughs> this time. So um, nine nominations this year, um, two last year. So I think that kind of shows mm. the mm. impact it's made. And Fleabag, which had zero <laughs> nominations for season one, has 11. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that second season has kind of taken off in the States the same way it has here. The impact has yeah. been incredible. Yeah. Um, Andrew Scott, not one of them, though. No. Which I am outraged about personally. Personally. Yeah. Fight, for, fight for the priests. Fight, fight for the sexy priests. Sexy priests, for fuck's sake, yeah. Should we, should we go through these category by category, avoiding oh, the ridiculous categories? Really? Welcome you know to the world's longest podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Or you could, do, you could go show by show, because Game of Thrones 32, which is the most ever for a single show. Yeah. And in also, interestingly, like, I remember the, I was reading the Gwendolyn Christie thing in this. It wasn't just Gwendolyn Christie. It was also, uh, I believe, I want to say Carice Van Houten and oh, okay. Alfie Allen, who were not nominated by HBO but essentially went fuck you nominated, nominated themselves, themselves and yeah. got yeah. shortlisted yeah, fair incredible. play to them I have a feeling they're not going to win that many no I, I agree that's but gonna be the... look at who they're up mm. against like if you look at the uh, best supporting actress category you know you've got Sophie Turner in there you've got a bunch of people and it's like okay fine but Fiona fucking Shaw's in your category do you know what I mean not, not to take away from their achievement but it's kind of hard to top that isn't it um so, yes, I think you're right. I think, I mean, drama series, I reckon they were in with a pretty good shout. I mean, yeah. If you look at what else is up there, I mean, you've got Pose, Succession, This Is Us, Killing Eve's in there, Bodyguard, which is an outlier, I would say. Uh, Better Call Saul again. I think I think Thrones in drama. Um, comedy series, obviously, Fleabag's up against some, some up against Russian Doll. Comedy is well as Veep. Category. Uh, Barry. Maisel. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Claimed. The Good Place won't win. But, um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Without, that's a really hard one to call. Yeah. Really hard one to call. It's nicely Chernobyl getting some recognition. It's a limited series alongside Escape from Danamora. Fossey Verdon, Shop Objects is in there as well. Yeah, uh, I when was they very see us. Shop Objects, Shop Objects for best limited series and Amy Adams yeah. and all that. I mean, for limited, I couldn't pick Angel a winner Mark out of Valley. limited series. <laughs> couldn't pick a winner out of limited series. Yeah, Chernobyl, uh, Shop Objects, When They See Us. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think, 
is Chernobyl when they see us, isn't it? So that is yeah. absolutely impossible to decide. I think yeah. it's funny, isn't it? Because sharp objects is amazing, but it feels a bit. Oh God, wasn't that last year? Do you yeah. know what I mean? It feels too long ago. Yeah. Um, what else have we got? Bandersnatch got a nomination. That was surprising. Television movie. Uh, lead actor in drama series Bob Odenkirk. Kit Harrington's in there for lead actor. I mean, I mean, I know. Okay. I mean, we love him and everything, but... Yeah, I no. love him, but that's... If we're talking about somebody pulling one face... <laughs> yeah. Stink yes. face! Oh, my yes. God. Yes! You've eight, done it! You've done it! Yeah. You've done it! And stink I mean, face! Through eight years. Yes, eight <laughs> years of stink face. 800 hours of television. Oh, yeah. Kristen Ritter, when all you, is forgiven. When you saw that documentary, did you ever see that documentary <laughs> about the last episode? That is just yeah. his face in through that as it's well, perma, in real life. perma stink face. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, uh, best lead stink face in the drama series, <laughs> Kit Harrington. That could happen. Lead actress and drama series Amelia Clark's in there but she's alongside mm. Jodie Comer do you know what I mean Viola Davis for How to Get Away with Murder Laura Linney for Ozark uh, Mandy Moore's in there for This Is Us Sandra Oh also in there for Killing Eve Robin Wright for House of Cards that's a strong strong mm. list uh, lead actor in a comedy Anthony Anderson Don Cheadle for Black Monday didn't like the show did like him Ted Danson who is excellent in The Good Place Michael Douglas for Kaminsky Method also very exciting Bill Hader for Barry uh, Eugene Levy for Shits Creek a show that I did watch I didn't do it for Sean should... did we do it for I was going to mention Shit's Creek. I don't think we have a fish done. No, because I did what I yeah. watched the first episode of yeah. Shit's Creek because someone told me I'd love yeah. it and I did not. I didn't either, but you know, it's got, I watched an, a recent episode recently. It's got much, much better. Okay, I think it maybe has we'll. Kind of if someone wants to pick an episode of Shit's Creek for Funny or Die, then do tweet it at me and we'll see if we can give that a go. <laughs> have you mentioned Russian Doll yet? Which I love the fact they got that's got thirteen nominations. Indeed, and including lead actress for Natasha yeah. Leon. So that's uh, but then she's in the same category as Phoebe Waller Bridge. So that's uh, yeah. Uh, but even then, you'd think like lead actress, and you think uh, in in terms of comedy series as well. Well, they're both very, very strong in that. Incredible. So I don't know what that will get. Do you know who uh, the most single most um, Emmy-nominated person this year is? The individual go on. with the most Emmy nominations. Go on. James Corden. Is it? Yeah. Really? Oh, is he in all the, the live... six nominations. Oh, Outstanding host for something called The World's Best, which I didn't, which was a spin, a, th- a smaller thing he did, like a kind of show, uh, a kind of competition show he did. Um, Carpool Karaoke, the Paul McCartney special of Carpool Karaoke, um, and The Late Late Show... Best Writer Talk Show, outstanding interactive program, and because and he helps with the scripts, so he gets he's, yeah. he's a credited mm. writer. So he's got six. I, do you know what? He's I've got a lot. Considering I, he's very talented, he's brilliant. Yeah. I think it's incredible. Considering how much he still gets to some extent slagged off here. We yeah, he before. does. You know, he doesn't get that in the states. But though, they does do. he? no, not at all. No. no, when I I lived there when he took over that show. Yeah. And nobody really knew who he was, no. right? Why would they? Yeah. And the buzz around him with no kind of preconceptions of who he was or anything like that was insane. And I think late night television is one of the toughest slots on American mm. TV. It's it's notorious for how cutthroat it is, how difficult it is, how many people have fallen on that slot. His success, I think, is absolutely extraordinary and I think people don't give him enough recognition right. for that. Yeah. To go to a country that isn't your own, to understand the culture enough to be able to, every single day, help to write a script which right. connects with an audience that is not the country that you have even lived in for more than five years. See. is it, And to be able to do it at that speed and deliver it the way he does every single night mm. I think is remarkable and just coming up with segments like Carpool Karaoke which, which is, is genius which mm. is genius like that in and of itself I think it's like creatively he's clearly a huge talent see, and everybody in this country is a dickhead see also John <laughs> exactly. Oliver for a Brit who's gone over there and absolutely nailed it uh, yeah but I think what, but what, he, what Gordon's doing is hard this is, oh yeah this no is, it is, it is hard and he shop, does it every night, night talk but show. everything yeah. that he does he doesn't just do that and of I mean course. we're not going to talk about you know the trailer for Cats <laughs> We're going to move on from that. But but 
it, despite the fact that uh, James Corden does not appreciate my contribution to this particular <laughs> podcast, and clearly that is Maybe still a bugbear of mine. Twitter one day. Uh, he does follow me on Twitter. Oh, there you actually. go. Fine. He's an uh, incredible achievement. Yes. Yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, so yeah, so that's pretty good as well. So big up to uh, James Corden and everyone else. I'm I'm excited about the Emmys. Actually, I, the thing that actually detracts from the Emmys for me is they've got like best reality competition show and and it's like oh come on don't be a snob though. Yeah. no because i will be a snob, snob. Don't be a snob. I this will is be a snob. this is tv awards this yeah. isn't cinematic tv awards no. this is tv awards and that means tv oh. watched by everybody and not just you you massive you snob and there's a massive validate skill in putting that those shit. There is. yeah you try there's a massive skill no, in putting together no. yes. these are people waging a war against the iq of the human oh, race oh, and i'm having God, absolutely none of it reality tv is a on all our houses. No. I have never watched an episode of Love Island. <laughs> Fuck you I all. I don't watch Love Island, but I do. I am not so narcissistic yeah. to believe that something I don't also, personally appreciate doesn't have validity to other people. This is how much people. of a twat you are. You're not even... <laughs> like, a, 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 RuPaul's Drag Race is one of those shows. RuPaul's Drag Race is a reality competition program. I, no. It's not, queer it's eye, queer eye, right? Yeah, these shows change the way people think about, you know, people. These, these shows are point. populated by twats, and I have to do the podcast with you two. I don't need to then invite them into my home. Look, <laughs> I think, I would hope, James, sometimes, <laughs> that, you know, you grow as a human being and you learn to t- have appreciation for stuff that doesn't fit within your own narrow world for you. Never. You know um, what? We should have a new slot. When Funny or Dire, which oh quite soon God. runs out. Oh reality or Dire. Yes. You have to watch a reality show. <laughs> you have to watch a reality show. Real or no real. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yes. Uh, no, that, I'm not doing it. You can't make Keep me. It real with it. James <laughs> Dyer. Keep it real with James Dyer. Keep it real with James Dyer. Keep it real with James Dyer. What? Okay, let's entertain this for a second. Yeah. What? What would you start Queer with? Right. Queer Eye. Queer Eye. Yeah. Which is you, you would know. fucking love Queer Eye. Would I? Yes. You would cry. I've never seen the Drag Race one. You would absolutely cry. One. Yeah. <laughs> Coming soon. The only, the only, the only uh, reality TV show I've ever watched when Big Brother first started. I think I watched an episode, which might have been the last one of series one of Big Brother. Christ and again, I was just think these people are idiots and they're awful. And why am I watching well, them do mundane are, things? Yeah, it's, it, it varies, like anything. It varies. There's this is snobbery, and it's also classism, oh, and it's elitism. God. This is gla- <laughs> the the, the I mean, audience true, yeah. and the participants mainly in that kind of television are working class, and I think that's really well, no, the, yeah, it's the main place you find working class people on TV isn't reality yeah. TV because you're yeah. not going to find them in drama yeah but I wouldn't watch like the real Downton Abbey either yes you would <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's the most disingenuous thing you've ever no, said. Like, I like fictionalised stuff. I wouldn't watch it if it was reality. You've got to be kidding was, me. I'm pretty sure there was a real downtown. But I don't watch variety yeah. TV either. Like, I can't a... watch anything hosted. Like, hang on, there is judgement in what you're saying yeah. as you rail against yeah, them. Absolutely. So this isn't mm. about your personal taste as in you going, oh, well, mm. I don't watch Ant and Dax Saturday Night Takeaway. This is a judgement on your part. It is, it is. I think they're idiotic. <laughs> you can think it's idiotic, but you can't think it has no value whatsoever within popular culture. I mean, can't I? Oh my god. I feel, maybe I could ask you I could I could it's weaponized against culture in inverted commas. I think occasionally um, it's weaponized against the working classes for example. Oh god, I think go. I absolutely well, well, like, yeah well benefit Jeremy street Ka- and shit Jeremy like that. Jeremy Kyle yeah. it's it's working class people being used against their own communities. Mm. I absolutely think there is a strand of that but I don't think you can use that to oh proclaim god. all reality television is shite. You've just exposed the lie in my I don't I have never watched reality TV. When I was revising for my finals in the last year of university I watched Jerry Springer every day. I don't know why. 
I don't know why, but I, I became addicted to Jerry Springer at university. Were you having a breakdown? It's entirely possible <laughs> I was having a breakdown, but I got obsessed with Jerry Springer. Maybe that's the reason why. Like Jerry did it for me. I, I couldn't deal with it after that. I don't know, James. We haven't got time to fucking deconstruct your psychology. That's that's something for a therapist to deal with down the line. Right, okay. Let's move on from, what was it called? Keeping it real with... Anyway. Keep it Uh, real with James Dyer. Yeah, that will come in a future episode. Uh, Let's move on to reviews, looking at some shows that are out this week. Uh, First... As as we do in the reviews section for for that is what it's called. Mm. Um, First up in reviews is Amazon's The Boys. Uh, This is based on Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson's comic book of the same name. It's a rather anti-heroic look at the world of superheroes taking place in a world where superpowered people are commonplace and not to put too fine a point on it, just as likely to be bellends as the rest of us. More likely, in fact. Uh, they say power corrupts, so I guess these people are super corrupted? Anyway, it's a lot darker and edgier than I thought this would be. I've, I've never read the comic, and I kind of thought it was going to be you know, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it, yeah, this, this, this caught me off guard. What do you think, Boyd? Yeah, I thought tonally, interestingly, it was a bit similar to last week's Deadly Class. Mm-hmm. A little bit, but but much edgier, I thought, than yeah, that. Like the places about, this place goes. I'm about to say, even edgier, even more daring and bold. Um, there are some moments in this, there's a, there's a bit, so yeah, it's got a very interesting, I think it is a very interesting premise, perhaps even more interesting, in fact, yeah. class, which, which we really liked, I yeah. really liked, which is that there's this, there's this agency, there's a kind of talent agency for these superheroes, so it's focusing not yeah. as much on the superheroes as the people and their uh, corporate in this sponsors. agency. Yeah, led by Elizabeth Shue, yeah. brilliantly, who I love. Um, and their job is to do the PR and cover for, mm. to kind of manage the um, outrageous <laughs> private lives of these fucking ludicrous... It treats them like celebrities, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like which is, which yeah. is, so it's a commenting on that thing which does actually happen constantly in the real world, that celebrities are having their lives covered up by publicists and the press and the media. So it's commenting on that. And the scenes of stuff they do mm. in their private life in this, there's a bit where they go to this place where they have like orgies and stuff. Sex it's one, an incredible sequence. With the Miniman. Yeah, with the Miniman. Yeah. Yeah, you'll see, you'll know it when you see it. Uh, my jaw genuinely dropped. And so I, I thought was, in this day and age of everyone upping the kind of ante in terms of shock value and how yeah. daring, how far will you go, this did have moments where I was shocked. And right at the beginning, there's a very violent scene involving this couple and what happens. And that is that was truly shocking. Really shocking, And yeah. brilliantly done. This is extraordinary, even more again than Deadly Class, the, the production value. Yeah. Mm. The, um, this shows up the limited... Yeah. Budget on Deadly Class badly. It feels like a genuinely ambitious, bold cinematic thing. So you've got the, you've got the, um, as I say, the PR people look covering up for the universe, and it's also dealing with things like the Me Too. There's a Me Too element, which is very interesting. So it's using this, this. The, presumably this comic book thing which I also never read to explore very interesting ideas and themes I, I really loved it I, the only my one issue is it's got a Carl Urban doing a terrible kind of Cockney accent and I don't know why is it because it lapsed between Cockney and Australian so I wasn't sure oh is he actually just is, is that just him being Australian I was a bit thrown I, by I it I don't know and Simon Pegg doing an American accent as the father yeah. like, and I didn't that costume was is he gonna, weird like, I've only seen the first episode Like it felt like he felt a bit thrown away 
way in yeah. this. Because if you're going to have Simon Pegg, yeah. you want to make a meal out of it. It is weird. And that's not a comedic... I mean, I'm not saying Simon Pegg can do anything, but it's just like a weird bit of casting. Yeah. playing this guy's a dad and he's American. He's a bit gruff. Also, I don't know what it says about sort of me in terms of aging, but it never occurred to me that it was his dad. I assumed it was just his friend. And then he's like, oh, dad. And I'm like, oh, yeah. really? Yeah. So dad? That's my, uh, but I absolutely... I thought it was pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's very good. Like I, Again, I like the same same things that, that you like. Like the, the hit and run moment really kind of took mm. my breath away. Uh, the Me Too moment was horrible, but also entirely believable in the way that that kind of plays out. Uh, it slightly bothered me, but one of the superheroes is called Black noir and I just that just like the tautology there upset me but but also the uh, the homelander who's kind of like the yeah. Superman character the head of this sort of gang of superheroes was an interesting one for me for reasons I won't say entirely because it's a spoiler but also because it's played by Anthony Starr who is of course Sheriff Lucas Hood in of course Banshee Oh my oh. God! How did we get to Banshee? Hey. Got to Banshee. Everything comes back to Banshee. What do you? What did you think, Terry? I really liked it. So I'm not going to watch anymore because it's because there's Downton to watch. Well, it's not. It's not. It's, do you know what? It's not my cup of tea. However, let me say, as Boyd said, it's remarkably well done. The incident he's talking about within mm. the first 10 minutes is so superbly executed that I had to rewind it a few times mm. trying to work out just the fuck how they'd done it. Um, the whole superhero satire is really interesting. The, like, comment on culture. There's a, a scene with Starlight, who's the new kind of recruit to this seven um, band of superheroes. She rings her mum and her mum tells her this story about how she saw her friend's and her friend was like, oh, my God, my daughter got into medical school. And she's like, who cares? My daughter's a superhero. And, it, and that whole comment on, as you say, celebrity culture. The Me Too stuff did make me uncomfortable. And it's, I think it's always difficult when you're in this place of kind of shock and awe and satire. Mm. And it's... And I still don't know how I felt about how it was handled. I agree with what you're saying, James. It was really realistic. But it kind of... Um, it, was it being used for anything other than kind of a crass depiction of the bad shit that went down? Yeah. Mm. Is it going to be resolved in any way that's satisfactory? Like, when you, there's, there's a moment where... Um, after whatever happens where she's vomiting in the toilet, yeah. and I won't say any more than that, but it's it's like a, I, I found that a really upsetting mm. moment. But I like the interest that it's that that it's the power isn't always physical, that power is implied and power is structure based because she is a superhero with it looked like significantly higher grade superpowers than the mm. guy abusing her, but he was using his status power to essentially override her superpower to make her do things she didn't yeah. want to do. I thought that was an interesting But, but it's a tonal thing, right? Because you are mm. flipping between there's very flippant moments yes. and very funny moments and yeah. then there's that and it is and so it's sat kind of uncomfortably with me and maybe it should and maybe that's the point of it I don't know it's the only bit that I kind of struggle with but everything you're both saying is right it's just so expertly done the fucking accents are like off the scale I'm like somebody shut him up but, the, <laughs> yeah. but the, I mean the choreography there's a fight there's a fight scene yeah. which is incredible mm. um, I really respected and admired this but I'm not going to watch it anymore Fair enough. Well, anyway, that is The Boys, and this airs on Amazon Prime Video on, on Friday the 26th of July. 
Uh, next up is I Am, an anthology series from writer-director Dominic Savage. This is a trio of episodes, each entirely standalone and telling female-centric stories from the perspective of three different women, uh, each dealing with a different emotionally potent situation in their lives. The first one, I Am Nicola, which airs this week, stars Vicky McClure. The second, I Am Kirsty, stars Samantha Morton. And the third, I Am Hannah, features Gemma Chan. Now, none of these feature time travel, spaceships, or Jean-Luc Picard. And yet... And yet, I thought these were magnificent. I love that you love this. <laughs> I know, and I really didn't want to watch it either. <laughs> no, you didn't. I forced no. you. I know. Well, the, the thing was, so with all of these, I said I'd watch the third one. I'd watch mm. I Am Hannah because I thought I Am Hannah, Gemma Chan plays someone who is navigating the world of app-based dating. And I thought at the very least that's something that I can empathise with. And I found it incredibly powerful, really poignant, so real and raw and believable and emotionally potent uh, about this woman dealing with choice and pressure and and expectation as a woman sort of going, moving into her, the latter part of her 30s, and having to decide, you know, with a mother who's saying, when are you going to have kids, when are you going to settle down? And meanwhile, she's going from one terrible Tinder date to the next, and it's soul-crushingly awful for her. And that really, really comes across. Uh, and so I thought this was incredible. I was tweeting about this. I'm like, this is amazing. This is the most amazing episode of anything. Uh, and then you were like, oh, you've got to watch the others. I was like, oh, do I still? <laughs> so this morning, I watched I Am Nicola, and I was blown away by this as well. And this is Vicky McClure with her boyfriend who she lives with just dealing with a relationship in its death throes uh, and the difficulties she's having and the arguments they have the domestics they have genuinely some of the most real raw believable moments of television I've ever seen I think partly because um, as you said he, he doesn't script it it's not scripted he talks to these actors he tells them what he wants from the scene he tells them organically what they can where the characters are what the broad themes are and they fumble through it in the way that real humans do and the way humans argue is not, you know, intellect or logic based. It's purely emotional. It's raw. It's stumbling. It's sort of meandering. It's nonsensical at times. And that totally comes across. And I was watching it thinking, oh, my God, I have lived this argument at one point. <laughs> like, it was brutal. Absolutely mm. brutal. But he does, doesn't he, according to the excellent feature in Pilot TV magazine uh, last month, he does write a script, doesn't he? So he talks... Well, uh, a first draft. Yes. Well, so I interviewed him at BAFTA, yeah. and what he does is he sketches out the the kind of description of the scene, but what he doesn't mm. write is precise dialogue. Mm. So he sketches out what the scene yeah. is going to be. He writes a treatment for essentially what the story is, mm. and we should say actually that he writes them and he directs them, but the stories are co-authored by the women, which means they come up with the concept essentially. So each one is has a story. Um, co-credit with Dominic for um, each of the lead mm. actors. Now, his filmmaking, though, is really interesting. So anybody who saw last year's The Escape with Gemma Arterton um, will know exactly what I'm talking about, which is he is known for using mainly improvisation. He really trusts his actors to know what they're doing and to kind of go wherever that scene takes them. He works with a really pared-down crew so that you get this natural feeling as possible with mm. in I am Nicola there's an argument in the kitchen and he told me in the interview that it was essentially kind of one camera one guy and him and everybody else was out of the room and they just set it rolling and let it roll for I think 20-25 minutes and it was just that one shot one continuous shot and I think the trust he puts in his actors and the way he shoots just leaves this incredibly naturalistic um 
intimate kind of at moments, as you say, incredibly awkward and incredibly realistic um, depiction of whatever it is, whether it is, um, as you say, navigating um, wants and needs and desires as a woman at a certain age or whether it is a, to- a relationship that's become toxic. Um, and we should say that Vicky's co-star Perry Fitzpatrick is in This Is England 86 and 90. So they've worked together before and they actually met at drama school in Nottingham years and years ago. So they know each other really well. And you can kind of tell that, right? Mm. They have an intimacy um, and mm. a kind of a familiarity and shorthand with each other. But it is the normality of these stories. It isn't, you know, these... I mean, the, the Samantha Morton one is more extreme, but it spans the whole spectrum of of life. Like, this relationship is toxic in I Am Nicola and arguably coercive at moments. Yeah. But it's also within the realms of relationships probably everybody's mm. been in. The, so relatable. Yeah, there's an argument over leggings she's going to wear to the gym. Mm. That no. is, is, it's all in the detail. Who's going to make the pasta bake? Yeah, it's all in those details, those details of normalcy that I think make this incredibly powerful. And even though it is told from a female perspective, I think what Dominic Savage is really great at is identifying kind of concerns of human beings, right? These are issues for men, for women. Mm. The interesting thing is that he's platforming the female perspective, which I think is fantastic. But the reason I think you're responding so strongly to it, for example, is that they are universal concerns Mm. and themes and everybody can see something relatable in it Mm. for themselves. Yeah, I I am Hannah in particular. I just thought, also, it's just stunningly shot. Stunningly shot. Hannah along with uh, with the dating. Yeah, yeah, so that's the Gemma Chan one. Also, she was unbelievably oh, yeah. good she's it. incredible Unbel- like the tragedy mm. in that situation but, the way she conveys it and those really so in that one and, and also the, 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 the men she meets yes, and are so brilliantly drawn but I mean because a lot completely of, believable they're yeah. not two dimensional like, no. you totally believe these are dates yeah, that have happened yeah. to someone and they, and they don't get much screen you know they each get quite small screen yeah. time and because of because of what, what which is partly what it's all about <laughs> yeah um, and I thought that was so brilliantly done how um, the, the little pen portraits of these fucking doofuses <laughs> In their own different ways, it was so clever. Yeah. So that is brilliant about that one. I think what I wasn't expecting with the first, with the Vicky McClure one, because I knew having read the piece mm. in Empire TV and um, and I knew you'd done your your thing at BAFTA, I knew it was in quotes about coercive control because often you know you have to people are explaining what each episode is about. So you go, well, that one's the one about coercive control. But actually, when you when you said it just now, it was really interesting. You said kind of arguably or you know perhaps mm. going into mm. the way they argue and it does but it is so subtly done mm. and it's not it's like it's not just going I'm oh, we're going to address this issue it's more for me like we're going to address this relationship that's gone toxic and it's just going to explore how it plays out and it's so unbelievably real because of that so it's not mm. trying to it, it almost doesn't feel like it's trying to make a point which it does yeah. do it does make the point um, and it's t- incredible detail about that as you say with the leggings and stuff but there are elements of it that I was surprised so I kind of almost was surprised how she absolutely hits back yes. psychologically it, it, against him quite rightly and those things yeah. are incredibly powerful there's a brilliant long angry speech she which I just wasn't expecting that probably because I think probably the stereotype and cliche of what mm. you assume a thing about coercive control is going to be between a man and a woman there's a scene where they at the party at the kind of um, the barbecue, barbecue. Oh, the oh. barbecue oh. painful oh my god so well observed yeah. passive aggressive uh, ending up in aggressive aggressive it's uh, just the just the re- that authenticity and realism is um, and I know we say it a lot it's it, it, you know in the end you have to say stuff if you th- if you believe in something you say well it's believable authentic but this is a different level isn't it it's like, it really is and yeah. I 
times. It's interesting that the fra- he uses the phrase in, in, in this a few times. I love you so much. He yeah. says to her repeatedly, and I thought it's so interesting how that phrase you'd want to hear that phrase. Yeah. You know, yeah. in, in in the right context, in this thing, every time it says it, it's like it's like a kind of dagger to heart because she's like, oh God, you're just manipulating yes, me. Yes, which with he is. Words. And it's not, and but it he's not like he's a master mind manipulator. No, it's, it's, it's almost just, instinctive yeah, for him. It's in, like, it's, he's not yeah. a villain in this. It's yeah. just that their, their relationship right. is fucked. Yeah, and arguably he is probably more to blame than she is but there is there's there's push and pull on both sides well and there's an incredible shot of him um kind of towards the tail end of one of the arguments where you just see this single tear running down his yeah. face and it's one of the most affecting shots mm. of the entire yeah. thing and it causes you to have incredible sympathy with him yeah. and i think um that as boyd says to not fall into those tropes and those traps of of this coercive relationship means x y and z in black and white in very clear details is is commendable really because you can imagine within 50 minute television having this insane pressure where's your middle beginning in your mm. end and you need to tell a story and what's your end point and to your point it kind of what becomes is what becomes just like life right it, what yeah. happens is yeah. what happens is what unfolds because of the two people involved um and each of these episodes is like that and i th- i think dominic savage is an extraordinary filmmaker, actually. And I think he's a very bold and brave filmmaker to make television like this with women like this. Mm. And I have to say, like, I loved The Escape last year. I thought it was fantastic. Mm. I think it was actually criminally kind of under-discussed and underviewed. But I think he's amazing. And this is, I have to say, unlike most other things you will see on television at the moment. I really do think that. Mm. So people should give it a go if they've in even two minds about whether to bother. There is only one thing that I think should be said about Vicky McClure's boyfriend in the episode that when he is trying to romance her, she comes home and he puts on James fucking Blunt. So he's clearly oh, a monster. That was funny. He's a monster. Yeah. Uh, that is, I am. These sort of hour long films begin airing on Tuesday, the 23rd of July at 10 pm on Channel 4. The first one is I Am Nicola, and the other two will follow after that. Not the same night, Correct. you know, on the same day each week after that. Oh, yeah. Finally this week, we have the seventh and final season of Genji Kohan's Orange is the New Black. Now, th- so this is this was among the very first of Netflix's tentpole original dramas, so it's kind of Netflix royalty, this show. It was number three. It, it was, wasn't it? Was yeah. it? So it was number It was three. House of Cards, mm-hmm. and it was that, that Hemlock Grove. Was that the second one, Hemlock yeah. Grove? And then this was, this was number this three. Was number three. Um, so last season of this ended with, among other things, Piper Chapman, the central character, being granted early release uh, from Litchfield Prison. And this final series charts, among other things, her reintegration into society while the other inmates remain locked up. Now, Terry, were you were you a fan of this show? I was. And actually, what I wrote in my notes um, before this podcast was, it was the show that first made me fall in love with Netflix. It's the thing I bought Netflix for and then binged all in one go. Yeah. Um, I think it was the first thing I'd ever actually binged. More than House of Cards, this was. Yes, mm. absolutely. And what I, I was trying to think about what I love most about it. And actually, I think it was the fact that you had what is ostensibly a story of a very privileged white woman, rich white woman, and what happens to her when she goes to prison. Oh, God, you know, how ghastly it is. But actually, what that character going into that prison allowed you to do was to have this platform to tell these stories of these incredible women of every race, of every colour, of every sexuality. And their stories actually became the most interesting part of Orange is the New Black. 
they have always, it's always been really sharp, really smart, really funny. But there's always been also a really searing comment on the American um, justice system, yes. on the prison system. The commercialisation and privatisation of the penal of system. Um, mm. And actually that continued because in the last season, as well as um, Piper's release, the other big arc was it moved into the addition of um, ICE detention centres in Litchfield, which is kind of amazing that this show, you know, you've got, a sh- you haven't, you've got politicians who aren't really willing to deal with this yet, but you know, <laughs> Orange is the New Black has gone there. Um, and I kind of love how they keep pushing the boundaries on that. Now, all of that said, the problem for me, and I've only watched the first episode of season seven, is that the weakest thing, arguably, over those um, six seasons has been the character of Piper because she's the person I care least about <laughs> and she is still a person of immense privilege. Even in prison, she's a beautiful, white, blonde, rich woman. That, in some respects, makes her a target but also means that this it's easier for her, just like her release is arguably easier for her. So the first episode is kind of split between the prison and her trying to navigate life on the outside. She's living with her brother and his girlfriend and their new baby and it's all, you know, kind of humiliating and there's clear comparison Comparisons between this existence and the existence she's just left. Um, her and Alex got married at the end of the last season. Um, she's still got another three years to serve. I don't really care. And so what you get is you find yourself longing to go back to those women you've grown to love over the last six years. Piper's fine. She can, you know, whatever. She can be on the periphery. But I found myself every time I was taken to the outside to her trying to navigate this life in New York, I just didn't care. Mm. I don't know how the rest of the season's going to pan out and how they're going to kind of um, bring together Piper on the outside and the women still struggling on the inside. You'd hope she wouldn't dominate it. Yeah, Yeah, but I don't know because she is, as you said, she's the central character though. So how do you do that when arguably the other women are more compelling and actually... It's far more interesting in terms of what women who are not in a position of privilege face. And that's Mm. why I think this ICE storyline is really, really interesting to be able to kind of dig into that. So all of this is to say that I love Orange is the New Black, but I'm kind of a little bit unsure Mm. at the moment after seeing the first episode on season seven. Mm. See, I felt this show had a while ago maybe outstayed its welcome. Like, I watched this all the way through to the end of season five, I found season five, which was the riot season, didn't really work for me. The like, timeline Yeah, because it felt mm. very bloated and mm. very long. It was a very condensed timeline and it was all taking place during this riot and I just, I didn't enjoy it. Like I It felt agree. like a slog. Much like the Marvel shows on Netflix, mm. it felt just too long. And so then I got into season six, which by all accounts is actually better. It's good. And I got a couple of, maybe three episodes in and I just stopped. I thought, I've just, I'm done with this show. This show should have finished by now. I, I, I can't really be getting back into it. So there's a part of me that kind of was slightly resentful of being dragged back to prison again for this one, even if they are changing the formula up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I do think, I think they made a smart move to to make this the final season. Uh, they should have maybe come to that realisation a little bit sooner, but but it's fine, you know. And I think showing her on the outside and sort of juxtaposing that with what's happening on the inside is interesting. The ice thing is interesting. Tasty being, is now dealing with the fact that she's been framed for a murder she didn't commit. I mean, there's a lot going on and there are fantastic characters in this. I think possibly the best move they ever did was realise early on that Jason Biggs, who, let's be 
forget, had loads to do in the first season, was absolutely the least interesting part of this. And I think by shelving her personal life early on and refocusing it, because Chapman sort of fades into the background. Mm. And for the last few seasons, she has been wallpaper. Like, she's in Mm. it, but she doesn't really have primacy, I don't think, over the others. Although I think her and Voss's relationship is part of the emotional backbone, isn't it? Oh, but who cares, Um, really? Like, on, mm. off, on, off. You, she, you (laughs) were drugged, you You were her drug. Her in, she you dubbed were her you drug in. runner, she mm. dubbed you in. Yeah. Like, just get over it. You both just need to move on. I don't care. Yeah. It's good that they've yeah, it's good that they've got married and there's a nice scene where she says, you know, I'm going to see my wife and like you oh know. God, I d- that like irritated <laughs> me. <laughs> okay. Um but I know what you mean. I, I feel like I actually liked the fifth season with the the very com- the time, the very compressed time. The right one. The right one. Mm. Because at least that was that was like a, we we know, an awareness of this season we have gone on a long time now. Let's do something a bit different. It was very ambitious. It went on too long. I agree with that. But I found it pretty impressive and compelling. And I thought it really, it kind of, it, it just gave a whole new kind of lease of life for me. The, and the penultimate, the last season, I found disappointing, actually, I don't, you know, after that, because we moved to a new prison, apart from the ice stuff, which was great. It, and it did focus back again on Piper. And I agree so, so, so much that it's always, her and Alex have always been the least interesting their, their characters are fairly banal and the thing and now they've got to a situation where she's kind of because it has to cross cut between her back in, in the prison of outside the world of course and it's making that slightly cliche point that she's in a new prison rather than the prison she's actually literally been freed from with her family horrendous yeah. brother and his partner <laughs> with their little baby and all that and I found and I just found those scenes with her like there's a quite it is quite focused on that now because once you cross cut, you can't like just do about five minutes of that mm. and then 55 minutes in the prison. So half the episode is kind of her dealing with this new world and that's not that interesting. And not only is it not that interesting, it's like fairly routine mm. and kind of slightly cliched actually that stuff I mm. found and as soon as you go back to the to the yard where they're just chatting away chatting shit you know brilliantly scripted and all that that Genji Kai and the, you know the, the showrun does brilliantly that is still brilliant and like that's still as good as anything out there on TV yeah so I wouldn't say I, I'm. I think I'm still going to carry on watching it because I do think at its best, it's it's really really great and it's funny and it's sharp and it's incisive and it's angry and all of that. But I, I wonder in the end, is it going to be all about oh, you know, the kind of what's going to happen to Piper and you know, yeah. And the mundanity of her reality now is oh, she has to go and do a urine test because yeah. you know, yes. and she and she can't afford an Uber and and things that I'm Could like. She get fifty quid from a really rich dad. Yeah, she's got to go yeah. to her dad and cry for him to get money. Yeah. Like it seems, and then as you say, you've got Tasty who basically won't leave her cell because she's staring down a life sentence <laughs> yeah. for something she didn't do. Like it's, but but even even without that, you've got Crazy Eyes who is just as you say chatting shit in the yard, and yeah. is as soon as she comes on screen, you're like, oh my god, please stay, mm. please stay, please don't leave, please don't leave. Yeah. So that that is the problem with it is her the re, the kind of reality of the scenes with Piper is just so boring mm. that it finds it and you're also not invested in her really yeah. even after six seasons you're like ah, she yeah. may, hope she does all right I'm not really yeah. that fussed I mean you know if like any of the other prisoners have been released you'd be so kind mm. of there with them every step of the way hoping they don't fuck up hoping yeah. they kind of get an opportunity again Piper is a rich white woman with a rich daddy she's always going to be okay mm. so that jeopardy that is there for every other female character that, isn't even, with her not just that she's also a bit of a blank a blank anyway yeah. she's a bit of a kind of you know a black hole of character mm. that's not she's not particularly funny or she's not she doesn't say but so, she's, she's essentially every, the narrative voice because this is right. based 
based on the of true course. story of Piper Sherman, sure. who that character sure. is based on. But once you start focusing on her in the outside world, having to deal with her, it's, she, uh, she's not interesting enough to sustain no. that. So absolutely, I agree with all the stuff about her being privileged and all that, but actually she's not even... If she was slightly more to her as a character, that wouldn't worry, annoy me so much, but there isn't really... No, and that button. And interestingly, I I did enjoy what you just said, James. About she is the narrative voice, but there is literally more narrative voices in this first episode <laughs> as, as as the people's kind of inner yeah, monologue, yeah. which, which are great. Yeah. And there's a yeah. and there's a bit where you hear everybody's inner monologue in the yeah. prison at the same time as their outward voice, <laughs> yeah, and right. this sense of like kind of women in turmoil and and dealing with their own shit is so brilliantly executed in that moment. I really, mm. really loved that. I thought that was really kind of. Ingenious. Yeah. Well, let's be honest. If you've watched the first six seasons, you might as well watch another one and just see it through to the end. And you'll get the opportunity on Friday, July the 26th, when it lands on Netflix. I think it's safe to say there can be only one pick of the week. Yes. So you're waiting for me to say something <laughs> facetious, aren't you? Yes. No, it is well, I Am Nicola, isn't it? The yes. pick of this oh, week is I Am Nicola. It is. But the boys is the I boys was, is absolutely worth watching. How, yeah, much yeah. I enjoyed. I mean, they're all three of them worth watching. The boys is, is a great thing oh, to watch. I but am, I am Nicola is I am going to be yeah. hopefully a BAFTA winning. Yes, standard I would have thought without it a doubt. Without a doubt, excellent. So onward to the Banshee section. Which, how is this still happening? Which <laughs> shows no going? sign of dying and never will as long as I draw breath. Uh, this is where we take a show from the annals of history and uh, dredge it up for your entertainment. I'll be honest, I on the Empire podcast not this week, last week, was talking about the film Highlander randomly and started talking about Highlander the series and I stopped myself on the Empire podcast and said, no, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do a banshee of this on the pilot podcast. So for all of the Empire listeners who have come over here specifically to hear this, this is my banshee of Highlander, which unfortunately I've kind of thrown together on the fly because I'd maybe forgotten I was going to do it. Oh my God. And now I've just remembered. Lucky them and lucky us. Lucky them. So Highlander the series was, of course, a series spun out of the 19... 86 film starring Christopher Lambert uh, about an immortal Scotsman or Highlander with a sword. There can be only one, except not, because in this case there are two, because turns out that you've got a show about immortals, but it's called Highlander because he's from Scotland. So they're like, oh, no, it's great, we're going to do a series, but we'll do it with another immortal. But then what can we call it? Because we can't call it Highlander, but they can, because while Christopher Lambert was Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod, they have discovered Duncan McLeod of the Clan McLeod, a clansman of Connor's, and he's played in this by Adrian Paul who has an excellent line in Ponytails in this Uh, and he runs around with a sword chopping the heads off other immortals each week and inheriting their powers while navigating life as a 400 year old Scottish man what is the point of it? (laughs) it's great no see this sounds terrible (laughs) your description did not sell it I completely admit this sounds terrible so this ran from 1992 to 1998 with six seasons and it was A very popular and got great ratings but B was pretty critically well regarded as well like it started off as like a bit of a mortal of the week and then it became much more art based in season two they introduced Joe Dawson who was a watcher who was essentially a um, uh, like a, a part of a secret society who knew about the immortals and like charted their comings and goings and then you had evil watchers and then you had this one guy Mythos who was the oldest living immortal but was masquerading as a watcher it was a whole thing so um but this show, so the pilot episode of this was actually originally intended to be the third Highlander movie. Uh, and it was kind of like, it was going to be a TV movie, so it's quite low budget. But because it was low budget, and because Christopher Lambert only agreed to reprise his role as Connor sort of quite late in production, uh, this was instead written as a pilot for a TV show, which then got 
picked up because um, Lambert didn't want to do television. It, it was a different era. They were quite snobby about these things then. Uh, and he agreed that it should kind of be a TV series. And they originally thought, okay, we'll do a TV series and Connor will be the protagonist. But because he didn't want to do oh it, God. that's why they... Is he still talking about <laughs> can this, I just, this the same can I just show? Say, uh, my, my, my banshee, I'm not going to go on this long. Okay, it's possible I've got too into this. But look, people have come from the Empire <laughs> podcast just to hear this banshee. They are here Terry's just for this. people? This is why what, what, they've come. What okay, the listeners can't right, see right. is that Terry's head is currently on the desk, <laughs> she is. on the laptop. She's lying she's on the all, table. I don't know whether she's sobbing Praying or for an early death. All right, it's to... possible I've made this more boring than it needs to be. Okay, well, all I would say is this: is okay. So Adrian Paul plays Duncan. Guess who else was in the running for that role? Sean Connery. Alexi Denisov. <laughs> Wesley from Angel. Come on, how is that not? And from Buffy, Wesley. No. I know who Wesley. See, this doesn't interest you at all. No. All right. Well, like you tried to pull me in with the Buffy reference. I did. I saw I what did. you did there. Desperate. Much, <laughs> much like this banshee, the show went on a bit too long, even though it kind of peaks in the middle, and it eventually did die. What time is it? Sure. Ten o'clock at night. Like midnight. Yeah. It died. But and here's the thing: so in the last season of this, they introduced a bunch of female immortals to try and get a spin-off series from one of them, and they end up using Elizabeth Grayson as Amanda, this other immortal. And there was this show called Highlander the Raven, which was a spin-off of this show. Uh, didn't last that long before it got cancelled. There were two TV mo- movies that followed this Highlander Endgame and Highlander The Source. There's been an animated series. There's been a Mythos web series. There was a really random kind of reunion episode in 2008, which is super low budget and I terrible. I just yeah. right now. Boyd is holding a mic stand aloft, threatening to hit James in the face with it unless he stops. I won't stop. This is now a filibuster. I'm going to keep on talking until one of you dies. Oh it's amazing. It's Highlander The Series. Um, I can't tell you how much you can buy it for at uh, Computer Exchange because I don't think it's available as a box set. However, and Terry and Boyd, for your personal viewing pleasure, the entire series is available to stream for free on Amazon Prime Video. So I think we all know what you're doing this weekend. (laughs) Trying to forget this ever happened. (laughs) Right. (sighs) Hyperdrive was a two-series comedy on BBC Two in 2006 and 2007, written by Kevin Cecil and Andy Riley, um, who gave us Year of the Rat recently on Channel 4, and it was very funny, and it starred Nick Frost, Kevin Eldon, and Miranda Hart, and was a science fiction comedy set in 2151, in which the crew of the HMS Camden Lock stumbled through the heroic missions to protect British interests in the galaxy, and it was funny, and it was better than Red Dwarf. And Boyd wins! Hang on, hang on. Yep. Hang on, it was better than yep. Red Dwarf. You can't just drop well, an outrageous statement like that I, at the end I of am, it. I am outrageously saying that. And what's it called? Hyperdrive. Hyperdrive. Yeah. Well, it I think. It sounds right up your street. Yeah, what are you right talking about? Yeah. But as far as the winner goes, Terry, there can be only one. <laughs> you declared it. You. <laughs> I mean, I've tried to be more fair these these days, but I swear to God, you make it really hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And that is, thankfully, it for another episode of the Pilot TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed all of it up to the banshee bit. Uh, and if you did, please head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, as well as a comment like Reginald Wisp, who loves the pod, except for, and I quote... 
one tiny issue. James mentions Downton Abbey a bit too much, uh, which, of course, puts pay to our new segment in which Terry provides a live commentary of all six seasons and the upcoming movie while in character as the Dowager Countess. So that's something to look forward to. Um, As ever, we're on social media at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, at Boyd Hilton. And do not miss out on our live show at the London Podcast Festival on Friday, the 13th of September, where you can meet all three of us in the flesh and watch Terry yell at me in real time. So that'll be fun. Uh, We will be back next week with another trove of entertainment riches for you including a three-part anthology of pilot-produced dramas, beginning with I Am Terry, in which a lovable yet irascible northerner deals with a deep-seated sense of class betrayal when her unspoken love for posh-porn Downton Abbey crashes against her salt-of-the-earth mining town upbringing to hilarious results. Pilot out.